Last week's story about getting unstuck was focused on the decisions that you make. It got a great response, which I'm pumped about because it was one of my favorite episodes we've ever recorded. Check it out if you haven't. Sell the position has basically become my mantra and a bunch of listeners. This week's story is also about being stuck, but it's about the decisions that other people make or don't make. We get people reaching out frustrated by this all the time. They've built a great product that solves a problem that their customer should love, but no one's buying it. Or they're crushing it at work and have been passed over for a promotion two years in a row. Getting other people to do what they should do or what we think they should do or what should be so freaking obvious for them to do is a huge part of life and it can feel totally out of your control. The good news is it isn't. Now, let's talk about overpriced New York City apartments and comparatively ugly people on dating apps. The owners of the apartment I live in have been trying to sell it for the better part of a year. There's been a never-ending stream of people coming in to see the place. It reminded me of a line of ants headed to a picnic. Unfortunately, no one's bought it. No one even made an offer. For months. And then, seemingly out of nowhere, last week it sold in a full-on bidding war with a cash offer well over the asking price. So what the hell happened? I'll tell you, and I'll let you know how it'll help you get people to make the decisions you want them to make after a little smooth jazz. This is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through our product, the Tacklebox Method, and we play smooth jazz and run through startup tactics every Wednesday on the Idea to Start a Podcast. If you're here because you're thinking about an idea, you're ready to launch something, or maybe you're already moving ahead at full steam. We're here to give you the tactical strategy that will give your business the best chance of success. As always, notes for the pod are at gettacklebox forward slash no whisper ideas. And if you like the pod, share it with a friend. And with that, let's go. So why did the apartment sell so fast? What changed? Simple. Our neighbor put their apartment up for sale. It's the exact same layout as ours, but we've got the corner unit. We've got a slightly better view, we get better light, and we have a slightly bigger balcony thing. Almost no one could walk into the two apartments and not say that ours was better. And that is why it sold in a bidding war. People were absolutely thrilled to have something to grasp onto. They had context in an exercise that otherwise had none. Before they'd seen my apartment, maybe they saw a pre-war in the West Village, a co-op on the Upper East Side, and a one-bedroom nearby, but without a doorman. Maybe the pre-war was big, but it had old appliances. Maybe the co-op was great, but co-ops are notoriously annoying to deal with. They were trying to compare light to neighborhood to broker fees to the lack of a co-op, and it was a disaster. My dad always gets upset when people say you can't compare apples and oranges because it's actually pretty easy to compare apples and oranges. But how do you compare pre-war with a four-block walk to the subway with an apartment with a washer and dryer in the unit? How often do you even wash clothes? Quick note for the non-New York City people, it might seem outrageous that an apartment that costs over a million dollars doesn't even have a washer and dryer in it, but now you're in New York. Humans tend to give other humans way too much credit. We assume everyone around us has things figured out, but for the most part, we're just a bunch of naked mole rats bumping into things and trying to do our best. Think about the process of buying an apartment from the point of view of the buyer, and don't picture them as some savvy real estate mogul. Picture them as a naked mole rat. It all becomes clear. Buying a one-bedroom apartment is stressful, foreign, and overwhelming. 
It's possibly the biggest purchase you'll ever make, and it's also possibly the worst buying experience you'll ever have. Zappos customer service treats you better when you're returning a pair of UGG slippers than a broker in New York City does, and the broker's about to take an unfathomable amount of money from you, and also isn't incentivized to put you in an apartment you'll love, just one that you'll buy fast. Loss aversion kicks in as that broker uses phrases like, you'll lose this apartment if you don't act now, and other people are about to take this from you. And all of a sudden, things are personal. Someone's taking what you should have. You're considering buying an apartment for 20% over your budget because someone who was a stranger the day before is convinced you should, and then boom, clarity and context. You see two apartments right next to each other, and they are identical. My cousin Vinny still stands up. I watched it last weekend. And you exhale. You can walk back and forth between the two. The corner one is better, clearly. It's slightly more expensive, but you know it's better than the one next to it. You had no context anywhere else, but of these two, you know what the right decision is, and that's enough. And that is why there were no bids for a year and then a bidding war in a week. But Brian, you had nothing to do with any of that. You didn't get the neighbors to put their apartment up for sale and you couldn't have. First of all, relax. And second, you're right. But now that I see what happened, it's obvious. Had we been fighting to get the apartment sold, and honestly, we were in no rush, we might have figured out the context thing. Or we might have fixed what we saw. Our broker suggested we do a bunch of things. Fix a light fixture, adjust the listing details and photos, bake some cookies, maybe some new furniture would seal the deal. But none of that would have helped. It probably would have felt good while we were doing it. It would have felt like we were solving a problem and the smell of fresh cookies can only help, right? But smells like cookies isn't going to help the buyer decide between this apartment and another. I needed to look at things from the perspective of the buyer. They were making the decision. What were the parameters of that decision? Where was the friction, the headwinds, the stuff pushing against them to purchase, and the tailwinds, the lack of things pushing them towards a purchase? I should have looked ahead in time and seen how they'd justify this decision in the hundreds of conversations they'd have, first with their spouse and then with everyone who came to the apartment after. Pretending that the story they tell themselves about the apartment doesn't matter is a huge mistake. If you take two things away from this podcast, it should be that context and story are the two things that drive any decision. So what was the story? Without the context of the two apartments next to each other, there really wasn't one. The buyer would have had to been someone who saw something different about our apartment and loved it. So they could tell people, well, we love rock climbing walls and this apartment actually had one. Ours obviously doesn't, but you get the point. With the context of the two apartments, the story is easy. Yeah, we love the building and wouldn't you know it, the apartment right next door was on sale too. We looked at them both and this was way better and only slightly more expensive, so we jumped on it. That's a story that makes sense. The question to ask yourself is, how can I make it easy for my customer or whoever it is I'm trying to get to make a decision to justify their choice? How can we help them get there? How can you predict the story they want to tell people then help them write it? When I was building Find Your Lobster, which has oddly come up twice in the past two weeks, I had visibility into which profiles got likes. It was actually pretty easy to predict whether a profile would get a like or not, And believe it or not, it had very little to do with how good looking the person was. It wasn't about who had objectively the best profile or who was objectively the best looking. It was the sequence. 
If somebody saw four straight people who were liked 30% of the time by the rest of the app, followed by someone who was liked 60% of the time by the rest of the app, the 60% person was all but guaranteed a like. But if we showed them four straight people who were liked 95% of the time, and then someone who was liked 60% of the time, the 60% was almost guaranteed to not get a like. Sometimes it's that simple. No decision is made in a vacuum and context is king. What are all the moments and emotions your customer experience leading up to the decision point, the factors immediately at play for the decision, and the story they'll tell themselves to justify the decision later? We're all just naked mole rats running around. Never forget that. Charlie Munger, who's in the news right now for proposing a preposterous no-window building for students at UC Santa Barbara, is, however, filled to the brim with non-architectural genius. One of my favorite quotes of his is, all I want to know is where I'm going to die, so I'll never go there. That quote is describing a mental model called inversion. The key to solving a problem is to completely flip the problem around and look at it from the other side. Avoiding stupidity, Munger says, is easier than seeking brilliance. And that is how this all ties in. So often when we face a problem, we try to figure out what we can do to solve it. Entrepreneurs tend to believe in brute force, a blessing, but also a curse. Because when something isn't going the way we want it to, we often look in the mirror and say, what else can I do to fix this? What brilliant solution can I come up with to implement? How can I work harder? But the answer almost always lies in understanding the decision process of the other people involved in the situation you're trying to change. Get a big piece of paper out and map out all of the inputs, all the touch points leading up to that decision for everyone involved. Map out who your customer interacts with, how they feel, what story they want to tell, what type of person they believe they are. Understand what they're comparing you to and what category they're putting you in. Write the story they'll want to tell their friends when it happens, and how they want to look. You'll see that very few parts of a decision have to do with you or your product. Your job is to understand all that and then make it easy for them. Create an environment with no headwinds or only go where that environment already exists. Make sure the context is clear before you spend your time trying to sell. We're all just naked mole rats blindly searching for context. Provide it. This was the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you've got a startup idea and you're interested in doing it right, head to gettacklebox.com. See you next week.